Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 148 for Monday, July 5th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Back Garden Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, and <laughs> very inside Pixel Riffs right now, but uh, if you want to hear more about my back garden, Joel's Herb Growing Habits, and Canada Day, you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. You get that by supporting the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. And speaking of our Patreon, it is the first show of July, so as always, we want to give a huge shout-out to all of our patrons. A big thank you for helping us make the show, because the Patreon support for the show has been incredibly steady lately especially with everything else going on in the world we're incredibly thankful that we can continue making the show with all your amazing support normally i found the last few weeks uh, i've been leading the conversation about what we've been up to in minecraft but i'm flipping it this week what have you been doing sir in oh. minecraft Oh, I've been flipped on. Oh, <laughs> what's what's happening? Uh, no, I I have been I've been flipping a lot of things. Actually, I've been uh, messing with people's villagers on the Empire's SMP, and I won't <laughs> I won't say anything more about that. And in case the uh, the 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 person in question listens to this show, but he's going to find out soon enough. Um, <laughs> but uh, elsewhere on the Empire's SMP, I've been taking. Uh, a slightly different approach to using candles because I wanted to work candles into my builds in some way. I'm harvesting honeycomb en masse from bees and I have way more than I really need to wax all of this copper. So I've been starting to produce candles and incidentally I ran into a double cave spider and double zombie spawner which was not all four in one unit but was basically like overlapped each other so I can have three of you know, either two of one type and one of the other. Um, so so I might be farming string for that pretty soon as well. But um, yeah, I've been using candles to represent the times that each of my server mates have died on Empire's SMP. There's a project I've been calling The Vigil, and I've got this monument set up in the center of my town with different colored candles. And there are only 11 of us on this server, so there are 17 colors of candles. It's easy enough to select one color to represent each player. And I've been asking the audience for anybody who's, you know, watching the other members of the SMP that I don't have the time to keep up with their videos all the time to let me know when somebody else dies in a video or on a live stream so that I can add another candle to this monument in the center of town. And my hope is that as wars and stuff start to pick up on this this server because we're planning on like, you know, a couple of storyline combat kind of things going on. Um, if people end up dying more frequently, then basically I just get to expand it outwards from the center and my town ends up getting better lit as a result because I'm just placing light sources all around the pathways and stuff that lead up to this central monument. But I kind of like the idea of having this big uh, lit area in the center of town that seems like a, a hub for everything, even when it's nighttime. That's really cool. And I keep on forgetting to use candles. Like I haven't really explored them much and you could really have a cool ambiance happening with that many candles. I mean, depending on, I guess, on how often people die, but as, as things progress throughout the server's season, uh, that could end up looking really, really cool. Yeah. And it's, it's going pretty well so far. I mean, like some, some of the players on the server have 
died over and over again because we have that play ahead plugin uh data pack that right. allows you to obtain your own skull to use in various builds if you want to put it on armor stands and that kind of stuff and so uh i think smallish beans has died 12 times so that's already like three bunches of four candles in the in the monument and, and has probably died several times since then but uh, yeah some people try and stay alive as much as possible and have only died a couple of times so there's a lot of variety in it and everything ends up looking a lot more colorful considering that the color palette I'm working with in the desert is mainly focused on dry and warm colors. It's, you know, the sandstone a lot of the time, but all of the paths are made out of that combination of granite and rooted dirt and bricks and all of those kind of warm terracotta reddish kind of orange colors. Um, mm. So it, it's working out pretty well so far. I, I also have a, a really fun couple of uses for candles because I was building a cactus garden on the other side of the town and that's going to lead up to probably some more houses and a residential area. But there's uh, a lot of different stuff in the non-cactus palette that you can bring into a cactus garden. Like I planted a few sea pickles there and then I thought, oh, green candles will probably look like little cacti growing in a bunch as well. And there's a few different things you can put in flower pots like bamboo. And uh, yeah, I, I ended up using a whole bunch of different stuff. You can also put, uh, because candles float, they don't have to be attached to a block. You have to place them on a block to begin with, but uh, you can take the block away and they will still float. So what I've been doing uh, on the recommendation of somebody from my community is uh, placing a bunch of candles on a block and then growing a cactus up underneath it so it has those little pink flowers on the top <laughs> provided by like a, a cluster of three candles which nice. looks looks really good yeah it, it looks like a flowering cactus that you'd you'd find out in the wild and so i was uh, i was pretty happy with that as a detail so i'll try and find a picture of the cactus garden so i can put that in the in the show notes this week if people are interested in seeing that I'm glad you can do that because one would think, I mean, the question was in my mind before you answered it here that like, wouldn't the candles pop off where they were once the cactus grew up into them? Like that's what I would expect, right? Yeah, no, you, you can still get them to float. They won't place against the, like the side of a block. So you can't right. just build them in midair to begin with, but you can uh, remove the block underneath them and they will, they will hang there unsupported. Um, do you... Do you have to wait for the cactus to grow or can you just place a cactus block on? Like if you wanted a too high cactus with the candles on top, you get the candles up there first and then you grow the cactus underneath. Do you Can you place the cactus or do you yeah. have to wait for the, it to naturally yeah, you, grow? You, you can build cactus and uh, amusingly yeah. enough, you can build it taller than the plant itself naturally grows. It's like sugar yes. cane. Yeah, so, no, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can place a couple of cactus blocks underneath there if you don't want it to grow. I think it will still grow naturally. Right. But then, obviously, it won't grow any higher if it senses there's a block obstructing it and right. it won't break off because it's not a solid block that's like adjacent right. to it. Um, I also discovered that you can place a couple of other like entity type things next to cactus because, obviously, cactus is a problem when it comes to anything more solid like slabs or whatever a lot mm -hmm. of the time you can't place that next to it because it will break the cactus plant but then um you know sea, sea pickles are fine the coral plants i was using in my garden beds around the town are fine and yeah candles will do basically the same thing also moss carpet layers uh will do that so now i can ah. place a little bit of moss in that area and it accounts for 
you know the lack of height variation that you could normally put around a cactus plant so yeah i've been been having having fun decorating with that kind of stuff in the desert and it certainly helps to break up the the sandy environment especially since i'm building with sandstone as the primary material for all these houses man the paths uh, in this area look fantastic. I love the bamboo and the, um, I like the, I look like it's warped wood and perhaps copper accents, like little, like mm-hmm. half block stripes through the, through the uh, sandstone walls. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant use color. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, I, I also really like this monument design thing. I know you spoke about this before on the show about wanting to have like conduits as like a source of power and like floating crystal type things. How, like, how did you come up with a design for that? Cause that looks really cool. There's an artist who I've been following on Twitter for a while named Cosimo Galuzzi, who does some really fantastic sort of um, almost ethereal sci-fi illustrations. And there's a lot of his stuff which has this kind of vibe or the kind of vibe that you get from like space western kind of style uh, shows or, or media like um, Saga, the comic book series, is one that I'm I'm thinking of in particular. But there's a oh, yeah. there's okay. a few others, and there's just like a couple of mergings of organic stuff and technology and weird kind of floating structures and things in his art that I think is um, just really cool and has been one of the main sort of inspirations for uh, the aesthetic of this area from a sci-fi angle. Um, I, I've got a couple of his prints that I still need to frame and put up in my office because I find them so fascinating. But nice. yeah, it's it's just the kind of stuff that I've been thinking of. What does this area have going on technology-wise, magic-wise, spiritually, and trying to build up more of a lore around the area when, you know, I, I'm trying to set myself apart from everybody who's doing a more medieval vibe for their kingdoms or, you know, building castles and rooting it in very much like a real world aesthetic. I'm trying to go a little bit more more fantasy, more sci-fi, bringing in influences from like Star Wars and the kind of stuff that, you know, there are a whole variety of um, of different worlds that people have built out there that I feel like I can loosely scratch the surface of with the stuff i'm building in minecraft now and it's funny like as much as i complain about like minecraft generation floating bits and things that i think you know that looks dumb or you know tree people that chop down trees and leave them hanging somewhere is because they've got like a piece of log that they forgot to take down um the floating mechanic in minecraft when you're doing sci-fi stuff and you're doing um more fancy type things uh really help in that kind of like suspension of disbelief and like fantastical magical kind of realms um with like just having something like that um because of the way that you've placed the blocks it it just feels like you can you can imagine them rotating or you know like slowly or floating up and down and you're like so having some sort of um just like pulse to them you know yeah yeah there's, there's there's a couple of other video games i've played that have structures like this as well there's like stuff that's either in you know mass effect or in like a final fantasy video game or something that or even stuff like breath of the wild you know there's Mm -hmm. there's these odd sort of you know floating structures and unexplained things that i think yeah don't necessarily need to be fully explained in the lore of the world to have something very striking about them visually and so that's what i'm trying to go with for for some of this stuff i like i like the idea that these the conduits can be almost like you know magnetic in a sense you know that they can they can hold Mm. up structures Mm -hmm. above them without needing any visible support and and maybe copper tying into that but maybe not there's there's a a bunch of cool stuff we can do um outside of empires i'm focusing a little bit more down to earth on 
um, some stuff in the Hardcore Survival Guide series where I'm mostly just focusing on the same stuff I do in regular Survival Guide, focusing on the game as, you know, a series of mechanics and so forth, and adventures and stuff too, but with less of, like, the storyline angle to it. So right now in Hardcore, I'm gearing up to take on an ocean monument, and that's mostly, right now, the struggle of getting Death Strider on my boots, <laughs> because I won't raid a monument without them, I need the maneuverability, because mm-hmm. half of half of my strategy for taking on an ocean monument relies entirely on just not getting hit by guardians, which means you need to be able to duck behind pillars and that kind of thing, and especially in hardcore when I've only got one life, I need to make sure I can avoid them where possible. So I'm taking water breathing potions, I'm taking doors with me so I can create air pockets if I need to, and we're going to try and uh, take on the ocean monument for tomorrow's episode. So I have yet to record that. Cross your fingers for me, but hopefully it should all go okay. I've raided a few monuments in my time, and I think I've got the technique down now. It's been a long time since I've done an ocean monument, and uh, I th- I know that that would be a good driving force for me to go get some more like netherite armor and gear yeah. up heavily mm-hmm. before because i remember it being i don't i remember dying a couple times i don't remember if it was like one of those like really bad like loops where you're just dying six eight twelve times but i definitely found it challenging uh but this was i mean i'm we might have even done it before 113 and then yeah. i've never bothered to do it since right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's definitely something that's gotten easier over time i think and um maybe that's just player preparedness maybe that's people's interest in using stuff like tridents now which will mm-hmm. do more damage to to yeah. guardians i don't have a trident in the hardcore world but i'm also kind of scared to go near the drowned that will drop any so maybe i should avoid that for the time being but um yeah i think it's it's one of those things that it's always quite a fun thing to do for the first time in a new world and i think having you know had the citadel for as long as you have it doesn't hasn't felt like a new world for a while if you've got a a guardian farm or at least enough prismarine that you want to be getting on with then you don't really need to raid another monument unless you want large quantities of sponge i suppose um yeah having more sponge would be good for for some of the water projects that i end up working with and uh there is, from a purely technical challenge, it's more of a, I would like to build this farm, not that I need this much prismarine. There are, uh, at le- there's at least one spot where there's a double guardian farm. Like you would load in both if you yeah. built your farm collection in between the two of them and then you cleared them both out. I'm pretty sure that, especially with the, I think it was Cub Fan that came up with a design about the soul sand and fences yeah. for yeah, that yeah. kind of a farm. Um, the one that we have now is like a smaller... I call them citadel, citadel size farms. It's like it's got a tank inside the monument. We decided to keep the monument the first time we did it. Uh, so you have to go down inside of it, and then there's like a small tank where they all spawn. It's still a mm-hmm. decent rate, but it's it's an AFK. It's not a pop by for ten minutes and get a ton of stuff. It's like a, you have to sit there overnight if you really want a lot of yeah. a lot of things. Um, but a double guardian farm, I think, just the pure spectacle of that many. <laughs> guardians coming through and i mm-hmm. i'd have to do some research it might be beneficial to send them to the nether instead of trying to kill them in the overworld i don't really yeah. know yeah yeah I, th- I think that's what a lot of farms tend to do now is is use the the nether to kind of free up the mob cap again but i've mm-hmm. never quite enjoyed those farms because especially in a single player world it relies heavily on the nether not being loaded and then loading in everything at once as soon as you step through a portal um and i don't know sometimes there's some stuff that gets lost there and if you end up with somebody else in the nether that can load those chunks but be far enough away to despawn the the guardians then you know you lose some of the capacity of your farm <laughs> so right. yeah there's it, it, sometimes you have to have a 
second account to get it running. So if you're dropping them from height into lava or whatever, then they'll they'll die and all of the drops can come back through a portal to the overworld. There's a few different approaches to it, but yeah, I, I never quite enjoy those farms when honestly an overworld farm is fine you know it's 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 perfectly perfectly usable um speaking of farms and and the overworld and the citadel i we raided you the other day and you were kind enough to show us the moss farm at work that thing is a beast <laughs> that, oh, that, isn't is, it? that is really quite cool to see in action and it's been a while since i've built anything that sort of size redstone farm wise so it's really interesting to see it working in a in a survival server and i like what you've done with the uh, the honey wall tell the people about the honey wall because it's 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 fun thanks man yeah so i think i was listening back to the last episode of spawn chunks just for pure you know quality reasons just want to make sure that when i'm reading an email i'm not flubbing up and trying to get myself you know sorted and uh i remember saying i'm going to decorate this next stream and then we're, we're going to be done mm-hmm famous last words <laughs> right uh, i am now part part eight uh, each of these parts is roughly a three-hour stream <laughs> I'm yeah. on part mm-hmm. eight of this of this project because I think I've put just as much time, if not more, into the storage system in the water, you know, way than I have the actual farm. Because of course, I didn't have to design the farm; I adapted it from an El Mango design. Um, but basically, after we've finished the farm and have everything going, uh, it's a double water stream, so it's too wide, which is unique, uh, and that's just because the uh, iron farm is a too wide centered build, and so I decided to center the the moss farm on that as well. Uh, but it actually has helped us in two different ways. The water, uh, the, the collection of the items is split in half, and then in half again, and I don't have to do anything fancy, it just so happens that the right side of the farm goes to the left side of the water stream and vice versa because of just the momentum of things going off the edge of the of the water flow. And so uh, half the items get up top, they get split naturally by a double wide elevator that goes in two different ways, two different uh, directions. They fuel the um, the uh, bone meal into the, the farm. And then the other, the rest of the farm, the 60% of the farm is just shot out the front in this double wide waterway. Now, eventually I bring it down into one wide and take it into the storage system. And I wanted to do something unique. And uh, I used honey blocks at the top of the farm because I thought that they matched uh, the shroom lights. Uh, And that the purpose of the honey blocks was to get things up to the edge of a water stream because honey blocks have a smaller hitbox. Mm -hmm. And so I thought in the storage system, I want the storage system to look like the farm like I want it to look like it's receiving the same things that this farm is putting out so the farm has got dark oak green glass and kind of like orangey accents and so I was trying to think about different ways to get items into the hoppers and not have to deal with because I found this really cool natural water cave right next to where I was building everything and I thought this is gonna be perfect it, it looks like a lush cave I just have to give it a little bit of love and it'll be great but I didn't want to put the standard filter behind my my storage system and thus in this cave having this big redstone you know everybody's seen them a hundred times the the impulse sv you know filter and so it took me a long time to figure out but essentially what i've done is i have all the water stream going above the cave the filters are above everything and they go into auto droppers the droppers then spit their items out into cobwebs and this is important the cobwebs then slowly have the items pass through them. They drop the items into the center of a water stream. That water stream shoots the item into a honey block wall, and then the item slowly drips down the honey block wall because that's how, like, just similar to a player would. 
And because of the cobweb, I can have all five of these blocks next to one another and they don't overlap. Uh, without the cobwebs, the droppers were shooting things so randomly. You'd get moss blocks, two hoppers over. You'd get azalea saplings, three blocks over. Like it just, your hoppers at the bottom would just end up being a mess. You might as well not have a filter to begin with. Mm -hmm. So while you're sitting there with this monstrous farm going, there's a constant stream of stacks of items, whether it's moss blocks, azalea saplings, uh, moss carpet. Um, I think I actually have two filters for moss blocks because there's that many of them coming through. And it's really fun to watch. I was hoping that it was going to be a little bit more constant. If anybody remembers the Matrix, you know, like that that digital kind of waterfall of ones and zeros that they have mm -hmm. in, in the movie. I was hoping for something like that, but you just can't spit the items out that quickly and have them not cross streams. Um, but it was really fun to, to work that all out. Uh, and uh, because of the speed of the farm, it actually works out to be pretty active um mm -hmm. i was disappointed at first but i realized that i had forgot to turn on i had forgot a, uh, a comparator in four of the five filters so so i i was like why is this thing so slow what did i do wrong it turns out that only one of my filters was working so it's like okay well that's <laughs> that's why i'm not getting uh the items that i need so so I, I fixed it all up and it, it now that it's working at full speed, it's much better. Um, I'm, and the other thing that I added, which was really, really fun, is that on the other side of it, so hoppers, they only take in 2.5 items per second. This farm puts out way more than that. Mm -hmm. And so you have to loop your water stream back around. So things that don't get picked up by the filters the first pass, they have to get picked up by the second pass. Uh, that or you just put everything into a lava flow and just trash it. So I have this thing loop around so that the items are constantly going into into the storage. And then on the loop, I actually have a bunch of hopper minecarts on rails. There's four of them. Uh, and they pull out the excess that's not getting stuck into the hoppers and put it into uh, bone meal, um, not filters, but like um, composters. So droppers will spit out the items they'll drop through uh, the air into the bone meal i'm still working on the section but basically i have like the bone meal is automatic the filter is automatic and uh at the end of the all of this i'm gonna have a comparator on the bone meal storage and when the bone meal storage is full it'll turn off the farm like i'll send it out and say like all right we're full. You can stop producing crazy amounts of items in the spawn chunks, please and thank you. <laughs> it's it's so cool. It's so great with it Thanks, being man. like a self-sustaining redstone contraption, but that was farming blocks for you at the same time. And also, it feels like one of those projects that you just want to bolt on all of these extra things that it does, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've yeah. you've got the storage filters, you've got the bone meal stuff. You're like, okay, the bone meal is getting rerouted back into the farm. Now you're like, if it has too much bone meal, it can stop. And then it reminds me, I think, of like when you had a potato and carrot farm, you basically were like, send all of this to composters, but then when this chest starts filling up, then send it back into the system so it can be used for villager breeding. And you've got so mm. many different like attachments, basically, this kind of modular farm setup going on it's it's really quite a cool project i thanks man i really appreciate that it it's the thing that i like so much about these kinds of farms is the fact that it's self-sustaining i don't have to go and fill it full of blaze rods or gunpowder or something else like you you have to it's, a, it's an overworld farm moss composts all the things from the moss farm that you get they all compost into bone meal so you don't have to ever fill this full of bone meal you don't have to go sit at a skeleton farm and then you know make more bone meal um i don't know if i'm ever gonna have to go to a skeleton farm again 
Um, I uh, I haven't had it running while I've been streaming, only because the one drawback is that the, the pistons are quite loud for the the um, the sorry not the pistons the um, the droppers droppers are quite loud for the for the amount of things that are going through. There's just this constant clicking, um, so. I don't know exactly how quickly I'm going to get things go- going, but in tests, I've got like three and four stacks of bone meal in just a couple of minutes. Um, it certainly puts out stacks and stacks. We've got two double chests of, of moss blocks already just from the few times, like when you pop by on the stream when I say, hey, look how cool this is. And I run it for a couple of minutes and then I shut it off. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, chests full of things. Yeah. Um, so, but it's it's been really fun to work with something completely different than the medieval area and um not that i'm done with the medieval not that i'm I'm sick of it but i was hitting a bit of a roadblock trying to find some new blocks plus there was the excitement of 117 you kind of want to work with the new things and and have fun with that, that kind of stuff and uh i you know we've got this question a lot uh in in email inboxes asking like you know how do we do this or how can i stay fresh on this world like how can i do these long you know projects like you do and I really think the key is just having a bunch of different areas on a server or a bunch of different projects on the go where if you hit a creative wall or you just get bored of one and you're just like, I, I do want to finish this, but I just don't want to finish it right now. Being able to switch gears completely, especially for me going from medieval building to farm, like redstone, high tech waterway, got to do everything you know around that was a really nice brain switch for me. Uh, it felt fresh. It felt new. And um, now I've moved on to decorating a lot of the things. Uh, and that involved going out and trying to hunt down some of the new 117 blocks. So having the exact opposite experience from my snapshot world, I found glowberries in the second chest I looked in, in the first mineshaft. The <laughs> mineshaft, I knew where it was. Because here's something that we were thinking about. Because on stream, I was just like, I don't want to have to start looking for days. I don't want it to go hundreds of thousands of blocks looking for something. So I thought, do we know if Minecraft, if abandoned mineshaft chests generate their loot tables when the chunks are loaded or when the player opens the chest? Well, Mm -hmm. just so you, everyone knows at home, it's when you open the chest. Yeah. Um, I actually have something to quickly add to this. If you go into a world in spectator mode, not in survival, but if you load up a regular survival world and you put yourself in spectator mode using cheats, if you go in, right click on a chest in like a dungeon or an abandoned mine shaft if you right click on it to see what's in it it actually says unable to open contents not generated yet oh uh, cool so so you can actually see that in action in you know vanilla minecraft if you just want to like go up to a chest in spectator and try it once you have been to that chest and opened it if even if you leave the contents in there a spectator account can still go and take a look at what's in that chest as though you've just opened it as a survival player but uh yeah it's it's something that i knew already just from the fact that if you fly around in spectator and click on stuff in a vanilla world it will say we haven't generated these contents so presumably you could then find a chest that you hadn't opened in an existing mineshaft and still have a chance to get glowberries Exactly, which is what we did. I went to a mine shaft that I knew where it was and I knew I hadn't explored it yet because it was in the modern city. And I was just like, I'm in the building, the city. I don't want to go on a, on a mine shaft exploration right now. I don't need anything in here, right? Uh, but now with 117, I need something in there. And mm-hmm. so uh, we found a cave spider spawner as well, but we also found glowberries. Uh, and then uh, I had to go back again and I thought, you know, the thing with the geodes, and we'll get into this a little bit later in the show today, I wanted to try and find a geode as close to where I'm currently playing as possible. And so I thought, you know, like, I know I trimmed the chunks fairly close in the modern city, 
Um, definitely really close in the medieval area, but because I, you know, I wanted most of the things I want the amethyst for is more than likely the tinted glass for the modern city, not necessarily, you know, the other blocks. Um, although at least the ones that are farmable, right? So again, we went to the, um, the modern city, found a cave nearby, found another abandoned mine shaft and found a massive geode. Like it's probably 30, 20 blocks wide in terms of nice. uh, diameter. Like it's big. Uh, and walked right by it at first, uh, and then uh, found the the backside of it, and then realized that one of the mine shafts actually goes right into it. There's there's um, rails in the geode, uh, which was really cool to find. And again, found it within mm, ten minutes of looking. So like <laughs> right on on the survival snapshot world I was running, it it was several streams of looking for geodes, and and never found any glowberries. Uh, so, uh, it, to have these things, uh, quite quickly on stream was a real windfall because it means that, that I could turn right around after getting a couple stacks of calcite, uh, to decorate the bone meal section of the farm. Uh, I could grab some, um, amethyst crystals to kind of experiment with those later on and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it was, it was a nice windfall there. Um, getting the glowberries was essential because that's how I wanted to decorate and light the, um, the area of the, the storage for the moss farm. Uh, and this leads me into uh, a mechanic that I wanted to talk to you about, and that is, man, are cave vines a pain in the butt to try to decorate <laughs> with and control? I mean, you're preaching to the choir, Joel. Oh. Having, having decorated with a couple of them now, I'm like, I, I have the F3 screen, like the debug overlay mm -hmm. up every time I work with cave vines because you don't want to put string around them because nope. I... I the string thing just bugs me. I know it's like the most invisible way we have of stopping plants grow, but I know it's there and it bothers mm -hmm. me. And I feel like if I, it's like when you walk into a room and there's a cobweb just like over the doorway from, from a spider and you just kind of do that thing where you scrabble at your own face because you feel something <laughs> sticking to it. I get that sensation in Minecraft when I walk through the hitbox of some string because if yep. it's like dangling down at player's head height, you see this like slab sized wireframe just generate around the hitbox of the string and so you know it's there and mm. so i i have been working with that age mechanic that they applied to vines in the same way they applied to kelp but growing downwards instead of growing upwards where the maximum age a plant can reach is 25 it starts with a randomized age and then once it grows enough segments that it adds one to the age each time it gets to 25 it stops growing which means if you want a vine to be only three blocks tall, you basically have to re-roll the age by breaking and replacing the plant until you get one that's age 23, and then you know, okay, that's going to grow 24, 25, and then it's going to stop. And that's just a bit of a pain to work with. Like, it's it's essential for me, but it does mean you really have to farm a bunch of glowberries before you do it, because it's a lottery, <laughs> a lottery with 25 possible outcomes, really. And it's a lottery at a loss. Like you mm -hmm. don't get it back. So you yeah. have to have like two stacks of glowberries in your inventory. And it's a good thing that they're incredibly easy to get. Like almost like laughably easy. Now that you've got your, you know, 14 chests of bone meal at, at, <laughs> at, your, at your beck and call, you can, you can do plenty of glowberry farming. But again, that's just like, let me stand next to this plant, hold a right click until I have enough and then mm -hmm. just start breaking and replacing it over and over again. I, this is going to spoil my idea if you know the answer to this. Do, does it work with dispensers? Like if I put dispensers and glowberries and dispensers next to a, a cave vine and I hit like an, a, a repeater loop on it, will it will it bone meal and just spit them out everywhere in the same way that you can do it with uh, two tall flowers? I don't know if 
the dispenser can remove the glowberries. I know that you can bone meal them to grow the glowberries, but right. I don't know if uh, I don't know if that's then a matter of breaking the plants to get all the glowberries to drop, or if that's something that a player would have to go through and harvest them. I haven't looked into farming them enough yeah. because if it's something that you can just stand next to it and bone meal it by holding down right click and and gather stuff that way i don't really bother setting up automated farms for them i feel like that's mm. for that's for the people who want to farm things for the sake of farming them rather than just however many you need for aesthetic purposes yeah 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 i just i realized that even on stream and as patient as i am as a player i was really running out of it working with these cave vines like you just you, you'd click and you'd remove you'd click and remove and i i had a beacon nearby so like even clicking, I'd be careful. I was trying to be careful not to bust more cave vine than I wanted to, and I would end up doing that by accident. It's like, oh gosh, like it really did feel like there should be a better mechanic to get them to grow to the height that you want. In the same way that we just talked about earlier, where you can grow cactuses past their natural growth, you can grow um, sugarcane past their natural growth by placing things on it. And I understand why this is the way it is. It means that in 118, when massive lush caves are generating, and these glow, these vines are dangling from the ceiling. It means that you're going to get these really cool random like growths of cave vines. That's going to look very natural. It's going to look very cool. There's going to be glowberries on them. I understand why it works this way, um, but in a similar way to, um, is it was the warped vines and crimson vines? No, what are they yeah, called? Yeah, like tw twisting vines, twisting and, vines. and weeping vines. Weeping vines. Thank you. Um, you bone meal those, and they grow exponentially so you you don't have quite as much control but i think once you've done that they don't grow anymore right like if you if you dangle um twisting vines from the ceiling and you bone meal them a couple of times and they're not quite to their full length they don't grow anymore right i think they will grow just as much as they have space for over yeah. time but then in the nether naturally you're used to just seeing them grow down to like wherever the netherrack floor is and that's yeah. kind of it so yeah, so I, I just feel like there there should be a better way. Uh, it's it's so funny, like the cave the cave vines are so hard to get to where you want them to be, and yet the glow berries are so easy to get once you have two of them. You're like you and bone meal, you're golden. So yeah. I I don't like I feel like there's this weird gap in between of like could I use I don't know could I harvest the cave vines with shears and then just place as many as i want like that seems like a pretty reasonable way in the same way that you put cactus down you can just make the cactus as tall as you want i just yeah. feel like it would save the players a lot of a lot of um frustration and and that the for the people that want to do this kind of thing it just feels like the rng of the age of the plant is just a little bit tedious because it goes like you know you'll get like eight and then you get 18 and then you get 20 and then you get six and you're like oh look at you yeah that's not what i want yeah um, I, I i feel like there, there might be something coming in future where cave vines become their own independent thing because right mm. now i feel like they're they're not as consistent with the mechanics of other plants like if you break kelp you get something that you can replant kelp with uh if you break cave vines you don't get anything and you replant them from the fruit of the cave vines which is the glowberries and mm. i don't know if there's many other plants that really work like that in minecraft right now so i don't know if that's something they will revisit in future for the sake of consistency or not mm. but the the obtaining them and like how difficult they are to you know get right versus how easy they are to farm actually ties into a discussion we're going to have later so right. i think i'll save the rest of my thoughts on that and let's uh, move on to the news 
Sounds like a plan. There was a bit of news in between last week and this week's episode. Uh, Minecraft Javit Edition 1.17.1 Release Candidate 1. A first and hopefully only release candidate for Minecraft Javit Edition 1.17.1 is now available in the launcher, fixing a few more crashes and bugs. If nothing critical is found, we expect this to be the release as the full version of 1.17.1 on Tuesday, July 6th. That's tomorrow. That's a quote from the blog post. Uh, in between then and now, uh, or sorry, uh, last week and now, Minecraft Java Edition 1.17.1 pre-releases 2 and 3 were put out. Uh, the major changes include uh, deaths of named mobs are now logged uh, when, when they die. So if, the, if a mob has a name and it dies, it's it's logged as the, this name has died as opposed to just like skeleton or zombie or whatever uh fixed bugs of note in pre-release 2 include that calcite is too quiet compared to other blocks emerald ore generates too often attempting to walk through flowing water constantly switches the player from swimming into normal mode i might have been experiencing this on the server last week mm-hmm. uh diamond ore distribution changed between 116.5 and 117 There are a few fixed bugs we noted in pre-release 3 as well, uh, namely captured axolotls constantly trying to leave water, axolotls despawning even though they were named and on leashes, and placing a small drip leaf in a full set of uh, water source blocks resulted in the top half of the drip leaf deleting the top water source. Uh, All of those have been fixed as of pre-release 3. There is also an update to the Caves and Cliffs prototype data pack that contains all of the 1.18 world generation that's being tested currently. Uh, No major changes there as far as we can tell, just a continuation of the data pack to update it for compatibility with 1.17.1. There is also a pre-release version of Optifine version 24 released on June 27th, 2021. Uh, via Twitter.com slash is where we're getting most of our information on the progress of Optifine. Uh, it did mention that Optifine for Minecraft 1.17 is now 96% complete, and hopefully, as, as we're getting a 1.17.1 release at some point this week, hopefully we should get an Optifine release for that fairly shortly afterwards. We did get some uh, email last week in correction to some of the things that I was talking about with regards to sodium and uh, iris. Uh, Thanks to the folks that wrote in over the past week. Really appreciate it. Uh, If you do write in with corrections for that kind of thing, uh, if you can remember to include links in your emails as well, that's uh, really handy for us because it means that we can go and confirm the information because we had several different emails and several different dates. And depending on what date that information was sent, the information was either correct or incorrect. Um, Iris previously came bundled with its own version of sodium for 116.5 that holds true iris shaders uh, is available on the website and iris version 1.1 plus sodium for minecraft 1.17 is available on curseforge.com that was released on june 29th which was after our show last week Uh, iris comes bundled with a version of sodium that is compatible with despite the fact that sodium is currently in development for 117. Uh, I do have a quote from the Caffeine Mods Discord to read about that. Beta releases for Sodium on Minecraft 117 are no longer made available on the Discord server. This might change again in the future, but it's driving an unmanageable amount of users to our front door. That's from Jelly Squid on the Caffeine Mods Discord FAQ channel. Uh, when will Sodium be available for 117? Short answer, when it's ready. Uh, There is a link that we'll have in our show notes to github.com with the Caffeine MC group. They have a thread that they linked from their uh, Discord that explains when it's coming, 
how they're working on it, what challenges they're facing. So if you have questions about the uh, sodium release for 117, best to read the FAQ on the Caffeine Mods Discord, or again, pop over to GitHub with the link that we have in our show notes, and you can get caught up there. I want to show all kinds of support for those people doing doing the good work because I know mm-hmm. there's a lot of folks who now rely on these things for performance for older PCs, especially as the Java version of Minecraft continues its path into the future and adds all of these new features that might show up a little bit of a uh, performance issue for folks who are still on older hardware. Um, for myself, I'm still looking forward to 1.17.1, uh, mostly for better drowned copper drops, uh, which was a feature we discussed in previous week's updates. Um, uh, on the stream this weekend, like I said, I found a, a double zombie spawner, so I'm probably now going to use that to farm copper when we update Empire's SMP to 117.1. That's probably going to wait for a couple of mods of our own that we've been using, like the, the proximity mod, uh, the replay mod, and shader support mods, whether that's people using Iris or people using Optifine. Um, on the flip side of that, I'm going to be updating my hardcore world right away because I want to take advantage of some of the uh, the bug fixes that have uh, come about. Um, the interesting ones to me from these pre-releases, though, are the changes in ore distribution because now that there has finally been appropriate documentation of the changes in diamond ore distribution between 116.5 and 1.17, it turns out they are more minor than people thought. Um, and I think a few people were maybe over-exaggerating the effect it was having and, you know, they'd had luck mining at different levels for ore distribution and it turned out that was just, you know, they tried something different and it worked for them. I've definitely heard a few people advocating for still mining on the levels that we had previously and it seemed like it was uh, what Sliced Lime described in the bug report as an off-by-one issue where I think it was just the case that you know, something had been added into diamond ore distribution, you were finding veins generating up to Y16 and maybe like a block above where they normally would, but for the most part, like, it hadn't changed as dramatically as people thought it had. On the other hand, emerald ore has definitely been identified as generating too often, and naturally this was something people were going to bring up to me, because if you don't know, I am kind of a fan of emerald ore as a block, uh, because of its rarity, I like to silk touch it, the fact that its product emeralds can be gotten very easily through villager trading, I advocate for silk touching emerald ore blocks because they are unique, and... A lot of people joked around with me that this update was going to ruin my plans for Emerald Ore because it wasn't going to be as frequent anymore. And the truth is I never really had a plan for it. I just like it because it's rare. And so, if anything, this fix is making it more rare, which adds value to it for me, <laughs> you know? An abundance of it is not necessarily what I want. I just like to to hoard the stuff where I can get it like a collector. So, yeah, very, very happy that they've, uh, they've fixed that issue. And... It's honestly really weird to me how superstitious almost people get about diamond generation. I feel like rumors circulate about not being able to acquire diamonds and the community runs with them until somebody actually does the maths and finds out that it's not as different as they thought it was. And I, I mean, like, and being on a four-year-old server where I have a beacon with like strip mine underneath my witch farm, I'm mm-hmm. never going to need diamonds again. <laughs> right? Just, you know, uh, I get I get the one caveat there is that even on a, a multiplayer server, we don't use diamonds as currency. So I don't need them for anything. You know, once you've got a set of gear, a backup set of gear, and it's netherite or whatever, like I just, I haven't found the need. Plus mending, like you're not going through pickaxes, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, so, I mean, um, 
I, it doesn't really hit me quite as much. Plus, when I was mining for diamonds even the first time, I wasn't doing like the must mine at Y11. I cleared everything out to bedrock. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like it just you just you got all the things that were there. Yeah, if it's uh, if it's hiding in the chunk, you're gonna find it. And yeah, exactly. As as somebody who advocates for the villager trading route to get an early start in Minecraft, I've been yeah. getting all of my diamond gear on both empires and my hardcore world from villagers which takes a little bit of extra grind just you know farming trees so that you can sell sticks to fletchers for emeralds and that kind of stuff but at the end of the day i have not really needed to go mining for diamonds to the point where i now troll my stream chat whenever people tell me oh you didn't go and mine those diamonds over there i'm like what diamonds you mean yeah there's a skeleton over there what are you talking about and yeah i i have a bit of fun with that but honestly i've been collecting diamonds just to turn them into blocks to then build with (laughs) rather than it really being something that i need to acquire for for tools and armor at this point and neither my hardcore world is is just me but empires doesn't have a diamond based trading economy so we're, we're trading directly for each other's resources instead of using a currency so i think it's uh it's interesting to play things a slightly different way and rely on diamonds a little less mm-hmm. before we move on i want to say again thanks to people that wrote in uh i was able to track down um some of the links and we'll have those in the show notes for iris and sodium in terms of um, also keeping tabs on when sodium might be might be done but now that iris uh with its own version of sodium is available for for minecraft 117 i might give it a go uh i'm i'm curious to see if there's enough performance updates that i might even be able to play with shaders uh instead of um instead of just having to go with the vanilla Minecraft look, just for fun, just to kind of see if it's something that the computer can handle, can the stream handle it. Uh, having more options than just waiting for Optifine, I think is good for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it can only be worth a try, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So thank you uh, so much to people who have written in. And if you would like to email the show with either a correction or an email that you'd like read on Chunk Mail, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com we're going to move on to chunk mail now where our first email comes from solid rock carter with the subject of the colorblind community hello pixel riffs and joel duggan i've been listening to your podcast for about a year now and have really enjoyed it while i was playing minecraft recently i upgraded to enchanted netherite gear as i am blue purple colorblind i was disappointed that i couldn't tell it was a netherite pickaxe for example The purple blocked out the black and it just looked like a purple pickaxe. I was happy about the ore texture change, but I think they could do something more. However, there are a few benefits, such as diamond armor looking grayer, so the ability to change it like the monochrome logo would be nice. Also, has Mojang released any information about updating 1.17 worlds to 1.18? You couldn't update snapshot worlds to extend the build limit, so I was just wondering. Sorry for the long email, but keep chunking along. Solid Rock Carter was rammed by a goat but he had a water bucket. <laughs> the creativity just keeps uh, keeps piling onto these these sign-offs, right? Yeah, I really like them. I think they're a lot of fun, especially when they tell a story. Like you just you thought that the goat got the best of him, but nope, he had a water bucket. Uh, a skill I yeah, a skill I do not possess. I have tried and will <laughs> just I give up. I just I can't I'm not that I don't have I don't have the young reflexes for that kind of thing in Minecraft. Um I uh to, well, to quickly answer the, the second part of the question, uh, yes, uh, the Minecraft YouTube channel put out a video, I think we covered it about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. It's called Caves and Cliffs Special Looking Forward. And in that, uh, Agnes talks specifically about how they want to be able to bring 117 worlds forward into 118. Uh, so you'll get a little bit more information there. I think you'll also get more information uh, as the snapshots and other things develop. 
as as we report here on the show, as Mojang um, addresses this, I think this is going to be something they're going to talk about a lot because I think it's going to be a, on a lot of players' minds uh, because of the drastic changes that are coming with 118. Yeah, um, but yes, they, they are keeping it in mind for sure. It is certainly one of the questions I get asked quite a lot on streams now if people are just firing questions at me in the chat. Mm. They do mm-hmm. ask me if I know anything about how they're going to change... Uh, yeah, update worlds to to 118, and yeah, like it. It seems like any time they make a Minecraft update, they always want it to be compatible with your old worlds. You'll always be able to bring stuff forward. It's just rolling back that is going to be a significant problem to you. So, um, yeah, in Bedrock Edition right now, if you're using the experimental toggle to try out some of the Caves and Cliffs beta stuff, you can update to a world that has increased. Uh, build limits but i believe right now that just generates a wall of bedrock underneath any old chunks i don't think that is their final attempt at solving this problem i think it's just something to get an an easy solution out there so that they can focus on testing those features with the bedrock community but i have a feeling that mojang can do some stuff to try and um you know transition worlds a little bit more easily into 1.18 um, they they are working on that stuff. That's that's as much as I know. With regards to the uh, color blindness and uh, the enchantment glint uh, and other things on netherite gear, um, I hadn't considered that much because, of course, not being colorblind myself. But I'm wondering if there is a texture pack that uh, you could apply. I mean, the first thing that I would suggest would be using a texture pack that removes the enchantment glint entirely, which is what I use, uh, but not because of colorblindness. I just think it doesn't look very good. Uh, The first benefit that I noticed was that I can actually see the different colors of the potions uh, between light blue, dark blue, orange, red, and maroon uh, for the different potions in Minecraft. Like, it's very beneficial to not have the enchantment glint on. Um, That might not be great if you're blue purple color blind because there's a couple of um, potions that are very similar in terms of their blue color um so especially if there's also bottles of water that would be in that mix as well um so you might not find that that works but i'm wondering if there would be a texture pack from the community the, the community of people that play minecraft that are colorblind that that you might be able to find uh, that could help you out in that situation um again it's not a solution from Mojang Studios, but it's a solution that might be out there for you in the interim. Um, I realize that this is also some extra effort, but I actually have a texture pack on my diamond tools uh, because I don't like the blue diamond color. Uh, In the process, though, I also could not resist uh, attempting to change the way that they were designed. So my diamond pickaxes are actually longer and pointier than my regular pickaxes. Uh, And that was because my diamond tools uh, are a brighter bluey white and can often be or could have been, in my mind, mistaken for iron tools. Uh, Most people ask in my chat uh, in terms of what question I get a lot is what texture pack am I I, I using? And so um, I, I have changed the silhouette of the uh, diamond pick, the diamond axe. I think the diamond shovel is about the same. Uh, Same with the diamond hoe. And uh, diamond sword is actually different as well. So having that kind of a shape difference, um, if you want to go in, because with changing the icons in your your, uh, hotbar, it's really simple. It's just one graphic. And then Minecraft automatically creates like the model of the thing that you're holding. So if you're okay with pixel art and you want to go in and mess around and just change maybe like the width of a handle or the shape of a pickaxe, you could easily get yourself, you know, a a discernible shape uh, that will help you identify a netherite from from diamond. Um, And uh, I I find it it's been fun on top of helpful, you know, for me in, in my world. 
just a quick Google search has uh, led me to a Planet Minecraft Texture Packs tag for colorblind texture packs. And some of these may stretch the definition in the case of this example. I think that there's a couple of them that simply remove a lot of color from Minecraft to simulate colorblindness for a, you know, normally sighted person. But I think... Um, yeah, I, I think some of these are potentially going to be useful, if not in this case, then in the case of other folks who have different types of colorblindness. So I'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. It's just planetminecraft.com slash texturepack slash tag slash colorblind. And uh, colorblind spelt without a U for those of us who spell words with extra U's in them. Um, there's, <laughs> there's uh, yeah, a, f- a few different things there just kind of looking through them that are either, you know, visual assists of other kinds, like enlarging the ore textures and having different ore graphics so that you can see them a little bit easier if you have difficulty discerning between those, but also changing up the colors of various materials to uh, to help discern between them. So yeah, hopefully there is something out there that will be able to help you. I personally will, will second Joel's recommendation for a texture pack that removes the enchantment glow entirely. I adopted one of those towards the end of Survival Guide Season 1 when Netherite was introduced because I didn't like how overwhelming the enchantment glow was on Netherite gear. I think even without, you know, even with the enchantment glow normal, it it just looks like stone gear somehow. Like, it looks like you're using an enchanted stone pickaxe, but the uh, netherite tool texture is relatively subtle. So I liked seeing more of that by removing or at least lessening the enchantment glow through the uh, the texture pack that's on vanilla tweaks. We're going to move into a meteor email that we're going to spin into the main discussion. It comes in from Rancher and it, uh subject is farming in 117. Good day, Johnny and Joel. I recently stumbled onto your podcast fi- after finding picture riffs on YouTube and I'm hooked. Uh, I work in agricultural and eco- ecological research in real life, so the intersection of farming and renewable resources in Minecraft has always fascinated me. Before listening to this week's podcast, I had already been thinking about the latest update and what it portends to, for the game as a whole. It seems like there is a shift from easy, renewable resources of prior versions of the game to more of a do-it-by-hand approach, unless one has the technical skills of Numbon. Uh, for example, it's really just uh, not worthwhile to farm copper, it seems. Similarly, the Amethyst's immovable characteristics and slow shard growth make that more of a hand farming situation, and the lava in cauldrons can only be hand harvested as of now, fingers crossed, for a dispenser-cauldron interaction in 1.18. Do you think this reflects a slight shift in the paradigm of the developers from making everything pretty easy to farm once a resource is found to making things much more exploration or travel dependent? On an unrelated note, apologies for the long email, I was uh, nodding in agreement with your discussion of neutral or friendly mobs in recent updates. As someone who works, uh, work is tied to grazing animals regarding uh, ranging from horses to cows, sheep, and goats. It's disappointing that we have so many animals in Minecraft who manage to be uh, so useless past early game. But I suppose that's a topic I could pa- um, prattle on about for far too long. Suffice to say, I think that developers could easily check the box of cuteness and utility uh, for more of these mobs rather than opting for just the cuteness alone. Beeswax was a good start in that direction, but the goats and axolotls were two steps back from that one step forward. Uh, may your copper be waxed and your shards be plentiful. Rancher. 
I mean, a very appropriate username, Rancher. And also, mm-hmm. this this is the second uh, of our two emails that has also apologised for a long email. Long emails can be read on the show, <laughs> so don't don't feel the need to apologise every time. But uh, we appreciate when things are concise. In this case, a fascinating discussion, and great to have the insight of somebody who works in that kind of department and thinks a lot about agriculture and and renewable resources in our own world. Um, So this we wanted to spin out into a topic of what's kind of hard to find versus easy to farm. Um, Touching briefly on the the animal note, the the second half of this email, um, yeah, when it comes to adding in functionality for, for mobs in the game, obviously there are some mobs which in real life we domesticate and that makes them a little bit easier to understand as farm animals, but the wild animals like axolotls that we end up, you know, bring in for for tanks and so forth and aquariums in our in our homes they are you know a little bit more exotic feeling and so it's kind of and and not necessarily used for anything particularly important in the real world so i think it's it's interesting to balance how they would be used by players um i honestly think i'm i'm gonna withhold my judgment on goats though until we know what goat horns do, assuming they're still included in 1.18 and they're on the slate as a feature, because Glow Ink for the Glow Squid didn't seem all that great until the 11th hour, and now I think it rules. I think it, it justifies the existence of the squid from a drops perspective. So I think I'm I'm withholding my judgment on goats until they are uh, a more complete feature. How would you feel about different functionality being brought into previous animals like if in in a a future update like the animal update you know uh maybe they give extra functions to cows or pigs or other existing uh animals in the game llamas for example yeah Um, see i honestly think cows already do enough because they provide one of the best food sources for survival players and also leather which is a fairly important resource for enchanting setups item frames and everything else you end up using leather Mm -hmm. for so i don't think i think farm farm animal wise cows are much more useful than the other ones uh sheep obviously give us wool and wool is a pretty useful building block required for beds carpets all of that other stuff uh i think pigs are the odd one out here the right po- the points of, of of a pig used to be a a food source that's similarly good as beef is but you don't get leather from pigs and then you could ride a pig back when a pig was the only thing you could ride since then we have horses minecarts elytra so many different means of travel um and so nobody really rides a pig anymore except for fun um and even then it's not that fun (laughs) so i think um yeah i think i think the humble pig could do with a bit of a glow up um and i think i've heard people suggest in the past that pigs should be able to either locate or just dig up mushrooms um in in Mm. you know mirroring the way that they are used to hunt for truffles in real life and brief sidebar there's a nicholas cage movie coming out in which he is a guy who hunts for truffles for the restaurant industry with a pig uh, and the the pig in the trailers at least is like stolen by somebody and he's like ambushed and the pig is pignapped um and it looks like john wick but with a pig instead of a dog it's it's kind of... <laughs> look up the trailer after the show i'm telling you this is not like oh, a, a, a a backdoor pilot for my nicholas cage movie podcast because lord knows there are enough of them already but this, the trailer for this thing is wild and i don't think it's quite the movie they are putting it across to be it looks like more of a 
contemplative movie about the restaurant industry but still like an interesting trailer um but yeah truffle hunting is is my point uh aside from the nicholas cage tangent i think um yeah i, th- I think pigs being able to root out mushrooms could be an interesting way of getting hold of mushrooms especially since mushrooms then lead you down into like the path of suspicious stew and and that kind of stuff um that does then lead in a little bit to farming stuff though because one of the things we've commented on the show before what we've noticed with the mechanics of 117 versus the eventual natural generation of some of these resources in 1.18 is we're being asked to go out and find something that is fairly difficult to get hold of but then becomes fairly easy to farm once you have it right and you're you're seeing this now with moss and glowberries for example yeah so I had a, I mean, I had a very different experience with the Citadel versus the Snapshot world where I found both Glowberries and a Geode pretty quickly. Uh, it took us a couple of boats to find Moss, but again, it wasn't a long, you know, because I'm flying around with Elytra, right? Like it's not, it wasn't day one Minecraft looking for shipwrecks. Like it was flying around a coastline that I knew that I had trimmed the chunks on and found, I think it was three or four shipwrecks and we found our first Moss box. Like it really didn't take too long. Um, but once you have them, like it's kind of ridiculous how quickly you can get more moss blocks. And when you can use moss blocks for more than just building, you get azalea saplings, you get, you can bone meal any of the, you know, received things. You don't even have to make your own carpet, like of the moss, from the moss blocks. You just, you get more carpet than you know what to do with. Um, so that I found, again, I don't want to say lopsided because like this farm designed by El Mango, like that would have taken a long time and a lot of Minecraft ingenuity to to really come up with. I've just copied the design, made it slower <laughs> and put it on my server. Um, but the glowberries, I was immediately struck by, well, I have two. I'm pretty sure I can bone meal these to get more. We'll just do that. And then I, you know, placed them on a vine, hit them with a stack of bone meal and I had a stack of glowberries. Like it was just like, it happened that fast. Uh, but, um, in, in previous adventures, it had taken me a lot longer to actually in the, in the um, snapshot world, I never did find glowberries. We never did have a chance to play around with them before the, the 117 came out. So for me, um, it, it, it was this quick and stark difference between, um, the RNG of finding a, a mine shaft with, um, with the right chest in it to get the glowberries. Uh, and then, um, also how easy it was to get now. I've been thinking a lot about the geodes because I was like, well, what geode do I want to spend spend the time creating some sort of amethyst farm in? Because those, on the other hand, you can't move the budding amethyst just like a, a cave spawner, you know, a uh, monster spawner. You um, you can only harvest uh, and get crystals when the crystals are full glow- grown. They only grow like plants. So like they have to be loaded within the player radius. They can't, they don't think they work in the spawn chunks. Um, we don't have, and I, as a four-year-old world, I'm not snipping any of the chunks from my spawn chunks because that's old, old, old stuff. And so we don't get any geodes in our spawn chunks. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that there does seem to be a divide with some stuff that's very, very slow to go. Same with dripstone. Um, once you get some, you, you can start your own farm, but boy, does it take a long time. If you're going to build something big out of dripstone, you're going to be a while before you have a lot of it. Um, out of curiosity, uh, since you've got, you know, two new experiences on two new worlds, one single, one one multiplayer, how long did it take for everybody to start dancing around and gloating that they had new blocks from 117? 
uh i think it's it's still happening with the small drip leaf um mm -hmm. <laughs> i think the 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 wandering trader visits once again well, i won't dwell on this every episode i promise but uh <laughs> yeah the small drip leaf has still only been visited upon one of the players on empires i still don't have any on you know either my hardcore world or, or empires and yeah I, I i went and found moss straight away because i needed it to terraform the desert and so i was getting that day one and everyone else was kind of you know groans of jealousy until a couple of them had a chance to go and find it too but that was relatively easy to get hold of because we knew where it was you just dive as many shipwrecks as it takes and i've definitely seen people struggling through you know 10 to 15 before they get it because that's just poor luck i think the 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 balance we're dealing with here is the discoverability of these items being gated behind loot tables and chance um compared to stuff like copper which you can actually physically go and tear out of the ground anywhere in the world and i think that is while it is kind of a a better way of acquiring those resources and certainly the way it's going to work in 1.18 it's not really something that they could put in for every feature in 1.17 because that's effectively giving us 1.18, right? Like that's, you know, generating moss abundantly in a lush cave environment is something that's being saved for 1.18 when the uh, terrain has been tweaked enough to create underground biomes. So yeah, I, I, I think for, a, for the first little while, everybody was certainly celebrating those early wins of like, oh, I found glowberries. Oh, I found moss. I got large drip leaf now, you know, the, the dripstone farms going up. And I think it's it's slowly easing into all right how do we now acquire a lot of this stuff in abundance yeah i like i look at the the stuff that that's available now in 117 and uh i don't want to complain about that like having to be super technical and build some really cool stuff in order to get things like you know six thousand moss blocks or, or moss related blocks uh per hour because building the farm was really fun. You know, like I, there's, I can understand the idea of having something be really slow to farm in the same way that, you know, crops are kind of slow to farm on your own. But once you figure out how to help get a villager to help you do it behind your back, it, once you've got, um, once you've got that set up and you're off doing other things, then those things can kind of happen in the background. Right. Um, I, I feel like that's part of the satisfaction of, farming and figuring out either redstone contraptions or other game mechanics in the game is the fulfilling nature of setting one of those up and then giving yourself the freedom to then go do other things you know uh it's it's like it's the convenience of having like you know a coffee maker with a timer in your kitchen you know mm -hmm. like you know that kind of a of a thing i find really really satisfying in minecraft um that said i do also appreciate some of the early game just want to get a quick wheat farm up and going you know a uh, couple of crops here and there it feels more rustic it slows things down um i think there is something from a game design perspective about the slow hand uh collection of we'll say amethyst because it's front and front of my mind right now that creates value right in terms of um this thing is really hard to get or it's or it's really time consuming to get or you just have to wait around and therefore no one is going to have uh, or very few people are going to have thousands of these things on hand and they're in and that just increases the the value it, it takes to to get it 
Um, yeah. So I, I, I find that's an interesting mechanic. I think Mojang has been quite smart in allowing us to apply stuff like Fortune to Amethyst Shards because it balances a little bit more the farming approach that, you know, the automation approach rather than like it, it balances the automation approach with hand harvesting stuff because if you have the time to sit there and, you know, right click on or left click on some stuff when it's grown to its full size, you get three times as many shards from doing that. And I think this is an interesting thing that I've noticed and and kind of ties back into uh, into Rancher's email here is the balance of people who have a do it by hand approach and the like allowing players like that to still be able to get hold of a bunch of stuff versus the technical players who are going to be able to whip up farms for this kind of thing and uh, often do so like in a, in a test environment that isn't necessarily suited for everybody's survival gameplay. They're just farming stuff to say, like, theoretically, can this be done? And and copper is another example of this where being able to fortune copper means that I haven't had to think once about really farming it using the drowned because I know that I can just go caving basically anywhere and come away with enough copper that I can make at least a stack of copper blocks, which doesn't sound like much compared to some of the other materials we get hold of, but when you're using copper as sparingly as I think most people are, you don't need a huge amount of it. Um, so I think there's there's enough of a balance now, and the balance is being redressed between people exploring for resources and the people who have the stay-at-home-and-farm-this at my base kind of mentality we still only have half the picture of that because i think a lot more of the exploration aspect is going to be emphasized in 1.18 but um i think even blocks like deep slate kind of feel fairly balanced for now i don't know if you would agree but um like getting hold of deep slate feels balanced enough even though there isn't like a cobblestone generator way of farming it because you can always fairly reliably find it at the bottom of the world it can't be instamined um and there isn't like the huge environment of it that we're going to have in 1.18 but it still exists in abundance and it's just I, a matter of taking the time to get hold of it yeah no i would agree uh i i think the um i can't remember exactly what they called it but they they basically had like you know blobs or a way that deep slate was generating above y0 to help it feel less like a line like you know there was above y0 and below y0 in the snapshot before the the terrain generation below stuff was all deep slate above stuff was all stone and other things and so rather than having that be a very stark transition they basically kind of like bled them into one another and and because of that overlap we're getting the top of that overlap it feels like in in the the bottom of the world i've not had to hunt for deep slate like i mean the biggest problem for me with deep slate was i mined a bunch of it with a silk touch pickaxe and realized i couldn't do anything with it <laughs> yeah, to, yeah yeah you have to get the cobble version um but no i've not had any trouble finding it and i've actually found stuff and exclaimed on stream wow this is a big pocket of deep slate um yeah i think it's because you're not hunting for an ore within the deep slate like you're ju you're just collecting the deep slate it's like looking for stone right like you just mm -hmm. or i guess if you went looking for andesite or granite like once you find it you're going to find like several dozen blocks at least like you don't really find very often just one or two pieces of diorite if that's what you're looking for usually it's a much bigger chunk right um and i would say that that's been pretty abundant 
and so I haven't really noticed it there. But I, I know I've for, for things like calcite, I've certainly felt that, um, granted, again, after me complaining about it last week, I found like the biggest geode of life. So <laughs> like I walked mm-hmm. away with very easily two and a half stacks of, of calcite, having not harvested all of it from this one big geode. So I think previously on the show, I had said like, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a crafting recipe for, for calcite. But I don't know. It's going to, um, the jury is still out on that for me because I don't know how often I'm going to run into geodes. If I start finding them all the time, then I'm going to think, okay, well, we're really not, we're really not missing anything as far as um, wanting uh, to find calcite. I don't need to be able to make it on my own. Um, that said, there are recipes for andesite, diorite, and granite. Uh, granite being something most people are not going to make because you can usually find enough of it and no one wants to spend that kind of quartz on granite. So, um, if there was a recipe for for calcite, even if it involved smelting, um, it might be kind of fun to have those options because having a block that's not renewable but is very, uh, we'll say, scarce compared to the other subterranean resources like stone, granite, diorite, um, I feel like it would be, it adds two things. Like it, it, one, it creates that as a renewable resources, which I think just kind of gives people the 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 um, ability to to build with it more uh, also provides an opportunity for people that don't want to rip down every geode that they find like if you wanted to keep them for whatever maybe you want to live in geodes you know um, not feeling that that tear uh, emotionally between do I want to keep the calcite where it is or do I want to mine the calcite out yeah uh, you know like that that having that choice as a player i think is a stronger gameplay mechanic in minecraft than saying like this is the only place that you get it and if you want it tough luck you know you have to mine it out and destroy this beautiful thing that's in the world because they are really cool uh, i've seen them a number of times now and every time i find one it's still like wow this is so yeah. neat you know yeah 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 there's there's something about like stumbling upon those blocks and like the the kind of concentric rings of a geode always mm-hmm. look really really pretty to me it's i mean we have enough of a fascination with them in in the real world the minecraft equivalent lives up to that i think and yeah i'll say this for calcite if uh they add in recipes that allow people to make slabs and stairs of it it is going to need to be renewable i think the main thing that's holding people back from using it way more is the fact that it's only a solid block it's not anything beyond that um unlike quartz which obviously people covet at this point because if they want to build anything that looks like you know greek architecture or whatever then you need a lot of quartz to do that Uh, and so that's good that it's renewable through stonemasons i think it would be a shame to have villager trading introduce a renewable calcite like i think it it makes a lot of sense that calcite is i don't think it's particularly hard to find a geode i mean you having you know struggled through this in your snapshot world like maybe you'll you'll feel differently but i think the experience that you had in your abandoned mine shaft where you could you you found a geode just by exploring that area because it's a network of tunnels that are already carved out for you I tend to find a lot of the geodes that I've stumbled upon in either abandoned mine shafts or ravines because it's already an exposed large area of terrain that you just have to walk through and it covers a lot of ground that otherwise a geode might generate enclosed in rock. So I think, yeah, those things are like honestly tipping further into the easy to find category for me as opposed to being particularly difficult to find. But uh, yeah, who knows? We'll, We'll see if maybe that balance tips again in future if people have other reasons they want to get hold of uh, geodes and, and calcite. 
One other thing I wanted to talk about when it comes to world generation, looking ahead again to 1.18, is that with drowned copper farms looking a bit more viable now, and actually now having spent some time mining for and using copper, I wonder how many people are rebalancing their perspective on the huge veins of ore uh, for for 1.18, because they don't seem overpowered at all in retrospect, I think. You still have to put in the work of mining all of those blocks to begin with, and the amount of copper that we now need to make a full block, even with fortune, you're going to come away with that in the same way that you come away from mining like an inventory full of quartz in the nether and then realizing, oh wait, this is all going to have to be converted into blocks and it's going to be like a quarter of what I thought it was. Um, So I'm expecting people to enjoy finding those huge veins of ore and think, oh great, that I can put off building a drowned copper farm for a little bit longer. But I do think the copper farming aspect, the, the fact that we can get some of that stuff renewably does mean that the finite resources around us don't have to burn out quite as quickly. And I think that's the state I will inevitably get to in worlds like empires, where I'm going digging for copper basically a couple of times a week, is that eventually you run out of caves to explore in the immediate area you have to either go further afield establish a mining outpost or you get into strip mining with a beacon and then you are tearing out everything you can possibly find within that area i do wonder how much copper drowned farms are going to be valuable to people who want to preserve the natural geology of their worlds a little more and so i'm interested to see how that balances out but the the huge veins do seem like a good addition now in retrospect because of the amount of copper they'll provide and the amount that they can emphasize that hand-gathered approach to people who don't want to build something as as technical as a farm that relies on the zombie reinforcement mechanic to get hold of a lot of drowned. Yeah, and I, I would say like as far as the, the technical level of, of farms go, I would put Nembon's um, zombie drowned farm high. Uh, like even for me, it, watching that video was just like, okay, what's happening? Like, uh, yeah. how does all I, this work? Uh, I think I, it's I, it's the it's the kind of thing that you can copy block for block relatively easily, but understanding all of the stuff that's going into it is potentially the hard part, right? I think yeah. understanding the theory behind these farms is so often the 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 bigger half of the battle compared to mm-hmm. just you know taking measurements and doing what he's done block for block and having something that maybe works just as efficiently give or take a couple of things you might have overlooked and i think if someone was to build the equivalent even if you managed to have like a double zombie spawner monster spawner in your world and you're able to afk at a spot in between them and get tons of zombies to come in i still think even after 117.1 the drop rate on that iron or that not iron um copper is still going to be slower than if you just went out mining you know, it's just a, it's a matter of how people want to spend their time. Like, do you want to AFK and sit at the drown farm? You still, and you still have to have some sort of click macro because they don't mm-hmm. drop the ingots unless you, you, the player are killing them. And I don't think you can hook anything. Like, I don't think like dogs will kill, um, skeletons for you. And that counts as like a player kill, but it's not like zombified piglin where you hit one with a snowball and then all the ones that die from cramming register as a player kill because they were aggro with you. Yeah. The zombies that are coming in from these, from this farm, even if you, from a monster spawner farm to be specific, um, not the reinforcement mechanics, you still have to, um, hit them with a sword to, to get the, the loot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not going to get, 
I mean, you're going to get a lot of junk. I mean, unless you've got some clerics nearby that you can trade the flesh with. But like you just, there's, zombie farms are not really, uh, they weren't all that useful until recently. Um, now that said, like if you want to build one for the fun of it and the learning experience, just like all the power to you, like that's cool. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if a zombie spawner is what you find in the first few you know days on your Minecraft world, then by all means, turn it into a drown farm because you're going to get some copper and you're going to get XP that you need to enchant stuff. Like there's, there's a, you know, depending on how you're playing the early game, you do have those choices, but, but yeah, I would, I would not, I would not put that zombie reinforcement drown farm from Nembon in the repertoire of most players. And yeah, I mean, save, I, save your emails. If you are one of those players, that's great. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just, yeah. But I mean, when you look at the 10 million people that play this game, I think that's out of reach of most. Yeah. It's, it's certainly not going to be as common as an iron farm is going to no, be. No, exactly. I think, yeah. For, for example, um, one last thought I had about this before we wrap up the show is honestly, this is, such an odd time to be discussing this stuff because anything we have to say about it now is going to be redundant in about six months time right because Mm -hmm. 1.18 is going to add in world generation all of that stuff is going to be accepted as part of vanilla mechanics and while a lot of these mechanics will presumably persist we don't know if mojang plans to roll back any of the like you know you trade with villagers to get dripstone when there are dripstone caves out there i imagine they wouldn't they don't seem to be in the habit of like taking away ways of getting hold of these resources but we exist now in this kind of limbo state where we know all of these blocks and things exist and we have ways of getting them but the the kind of the promise the true way of getting hold of a lot of this stuff the exploration ways and the environments that are going to really put a lot of these blocks in context still don't exist for us if you're playing the release version so Again, we we sit at this really interesting crossroads between the old version of Minecraft and the new at this stage, and I'm I'm curious to see what developments can be made in farming some of these resources in between now and then. Because you you look at people saying copper drown farms aren't going to get a whole lot, and then Nembon drops this on everybody. You know, there are people who are going to be farming amethyst geodes the same way probably because i think geodes are still the most complete feature that we've seen in in 1.17 but then exploration is going to accelerate in 1.18 and going through those caverns you're going to find a number of geodes there that you can just strip for resources toss that in a shulker box and move on and so i wonder how 1.18 is going to change all of the stuff that we're discussing now it'd be really cool to revisit this discussion maybe after part two drops and see i agree how much we were you know on the ball about and how much we've just left by the wayside in part two of caves and cliffs i am curious about the geo thing because i imagine with that much more space maybe you'll just end up seeing one more geodes um being generated but also more geodes being exposed because of um big cliffs or not big cliffs big caves you know like the the big aquifers and the the huge uh, open caves that you might find um exploring deeper parts of the world once uh one seven one eighteen comes out um i i mean i'd be curious to see how uh, like how many times we're gonna be changing our tune back back and forth to from it might go the other way like we, you might find in the in the first iterations of 118s like these are everywhere like it's really it's no sweat you know and then does that if that happens does that then affect like i said the the predetermined value like if you can just get, you know, amethyst crystals by walking in one direction for 10 minutes, then like, will that 
kind of removes the special feeling of it a little bit. Like it just, it's an interesting balance. I, I don't, um, much respect and I don't envy the, the Mojang team that has to try to figure out what, like what little nuances really help these things teeter on that edge of like, really cool. We want a lot of it, but uh, boy, is it a pain in the butt. I'm not going to bother, you know, like it, <laughs> it comes back to me, like working with those cave vines, you know, it's like, did I enjoy, do I enjoy the final look of this, of this room? Yes. Do I want to build more with cave vines? Yes. Am I going to mm, not right now? Like, it's yeah. not, not because it, like, it's, it's not something I'm going to be doing everywhere. Like I'm not going to be making a lush cave. That's ginormous by hand because i will want those cave vines to be very specific and that would drive me crazy um but like it's just it's that balance of time in versus um you know what it what how does it feel i think that was the big takeaway that i had in the first you know few weeks of caves and of cliffs with the moss farming and stuff is that how does it feel to work with these new blocks and while it did come easy the amount of moss that i'm getting it felt fun to do it it felt cool it was a, a great project and still continues to be two weeks later um but then uh with geodes like once i get the amethyst crystals like i still have to play with um tinted glass i don't have a spyglass yet but i mean like i've got optifine so like that's not a real big deal um but like there's there's things like well once i have it like how often am i going to return to it you know um i felt like that with some of the warped and, and crimson blocks from the nether updates. Like I have them, they were fairly straightforward to get, but I've not really built anything with them. And that's not saying they're bad. It's just that for me, like a, a personal experience with the game, it's just like, mm, I haven't really used those that much. And they were very easy to get. I didn't need to build a big farm, you know, to get them. Yeah, so that that's going to be, I think, where a lot of things are in 1.18. Like you don't need to build a big farm for moss. It's just like you go through a lush yeah. cave and grab mm -hmm. as much as you can hoe in hand um but that is going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks folks thank you so much for listening you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at the the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast as we said at the top of the show if you're getting some value out of the show you can consider putting some value back in at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks joining our community there gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and gets us closer to our future goals of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout with all of our patrons in discord every month we just sit down and have a good old chat like the quick login at the start of each of our episodes which is kind of a long login occasionally just about what we've all been doing in minecraft that month we're currently at 255 patrons which is down to from 257 last week but that's the patreon reshuffle at the start of the month probably taking care of that a special thanks as always go out to our content engineers general pattern 82 hunter 555 jumbo sale magma cube dude and yitz thank you so much for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, you should listen to The Spun Chunks, and then tell them where they can go to listen. That includes iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where I make two series right now, the hardcore survival guide going through the mechanics and 
survival progression of Minecraft, and Empire's SMP, where I mostly steal other people's villagers and turn them into witches. Uh, I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for both of those series, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, The Siddle Cafe, at thesiddlecafe.com. This past week, Lou Page was on the show, and we talked about the Steam Summer Sale and some of the indie games that he's into and has recommendations for our listeners. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am toying between two titles on the server, either The Bone King or The Moss Applesauce. I'm not really sure which I'm going to go with. But either way, I've built a massive... Uh, moss farm on the server I had a lot of fun i'm looking forward to a dripstone farm i think for the next little while i'm going to be hitting the uh, the redstone farms just to kind of shake it up a bit so check it out twitch.tv slash joelduggan thanks for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is infinite but you can't farm the wood for the trees